0: and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to be talking about swatching. Yay, swatching. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people listening to this did not just feel
1: yay, swatching about. I know. (laughs) I know. Swatching is is one of those things that there is, I think, deep divide on in knit world. Kind of like surprisingly, the DPN issue as oh, a little right. aside. <laughs> yeah, wait, we have to talk about the DPN issue before we get into swatching. Uh, Julie, this is for you. It's for a couple people. Seriously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in an episode a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how, you know, there's five DPNs in the pack and the fifth one is just the Hold on. Big feelings. <laughs> <about> Double pointed <laughs> needles, friends. So apparently that, I'm going to go ahead and say that was our most controversial statement to date. For real. Like
1: <laughs> the feelings are wild. People are talking about it on social media. <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's exciting. There are people who are taking pictures of their in-progress socks and showing us, look, this is how you use five needles. <laughs> and, and I just want to say that I never said the five needle people were wrong. Just maybe that I was a little right about the four. <laughs> I actually, I think the five needle people are
0: like, what's the um, finger equivalent of like a super taster, where like because my problem with my problem with five needles is that they're just there's a there's so many pointy ends, it's 100 percent more pointy ends, <laughs> and and they're so wiggly, but there are people who are not deterred. They are not afraid of the danger. They are not afraid of the wiggliness, and they are doing just fine. So I think oh, yeah. those
1: might be the superheroes of sock knitting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's wild. Like extra, extra needles equals extra skill, I think. So that's all to say where there are four needle DPN people, me, or five <laughs> needle DPN people, apparently lots of you. <laughs> um, I think that there's also that like kind of equivalent divide about swatching. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And if you are already firmly on team swatch and you love and always do your swatches, this is maybe not so instructive for you because you've already come over to the the swatch side.
0: Is that what we say? You know, you say that. But I think there are techniques to swatching that would be beneficial for people, even people who do swatch regularly. Like, you know, those folks that come into the store. And they have a swatch that is exactly the number of stitches that they're trying to measure and they've knit literally four rows and they're trying to like lay it out. And there just isn't enough space for those stitches to like exist as stitches. They're sort of like trapped on the needle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot about swatching to talk about. Yeah. So we're going to dig in. (laughs) What is swatching? Like, I I just was like, people do a tiny number of stitches on the needle and then they come in and whatever, like, what
1: are they doing? And (laughs) so... A swatch is a sample of your knitting. When you are knitting from a pattern, your designer is going to give you gauge information. And that information is generally formatted in X number of stitches per inch and X number of rows per inch over a four inch square measurement. Mm -hmm. And what you are being asked to do is to take your yarn and needles that the designer has recommended and knit yourself a piece of fabric. Generally, a pattern will tell you knit the swatch or knit in stockinette, knit in garter, or whatever stitch pattern is happening in your final project so that you're getting accurate stitch counts. But you're being asked to knit a little sample of fabric that you can then measure that four inches on top of So it's helpful if the actual sample of fabric is larger than a four-inch square because you can lay it out and you've blocked it, you've washed it, how you're going to care for the final garment and lay it out and get an accurate measurement of how your stitches exist using that yarn and needle combination.
0: It's a little square or a rectangle of fabric that you're using to make sure that when you're knitting your actual thing, the math is going to work out. Yes.
1: Because sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Right. But it's I think for your emotional health, maybe better (laughs) to find that out on, you know, a six inch square piece of fabric rather than when you have a sweater that has sleeves down to your ankles. Right, right. (laughs) Because at that point you have some choices to make.
0: Well, and so designers have, they will suggest a needle size. This is why it drives me a little bit nuts when you see, you know, some yarn that on the ball band says what needle size to to use with it. And then designers will say what needle size to use with their pattern. And none of that is giving you any actual information about how that yarn is going to form
1: stitches when it's leaving your hands. Right. This is all very like hopeful, (laughs) you know? I think that with designers, it's a little bit more informed because they have created this thing, this hat, these mittens, whatever it is that you're going to be knitting, and they're basing that number on the number of stitches that they were able to achieve using their yarn and the specific needles they use to knit the pattern. Whereas when you're looking at a ball band on a skein of yarn, that is kind of vague information because you don't have anything to compare those numbers to to have a like a visual understanding of what that fabric will look
0: like and a lot of the time when you see that on a skein of yarn you're seeing that in a box store and that's designed to get you to leave that box store with yarn and needles like it's right you've walked in you don't really know like the employee isn't necessarily a knitter but here on this ball band, it says, if I want to knit with this, I need size US 7 needles. Those are the two things you're going to leave the store with. And then what happens after that
1: is kind of your problem, right. or sometimes our problem. It's, it's to be dealt with at a different time. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think we've said this before, gauge and like the size that needles are when they come off your hands, it's a little bit like handwriting. And so I'm going to use an example based on my handwriting, which is Tiny. <laughs> I have the tiniest, most obnoxiously small handwriting. Karen has
1: serial killer handwriting. Yeah, I
0: had somebody say that to me once. They were like, you have tiny handwriting like a serial killer. And it was accurate. Um, yes. <laughs> I had it. So as a, as a little, here's a story about me. When I was an undergrad, I did a study abroad archaeology program where we were basically just playing in the dirt for months and months and months and none of us ever went to a laundromat. And like we were just filth pigs and it was super fun. But we had to write papers. Hmm. And we didn't have a printer. I think almost all of us brought laptops and we sort of hopefully brought charging cables with us, but like, sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they had us handwrite papers. And after I handed the first one in, my professor said to me, Karen, you need to go find yourself a printer. This is too small. I can't read it. And I was like, oh, so when, for example, I am packing orders with the store. We write a little note just saying thanks. And I use a Sharpie because it forces me, the tool forces me to make my handwriting big enough that regular humans with regular human eyeballs can read it. Yeah. And sometimes that's what you have to do with your needles. If you are one of those people who just knits really, really tight, you might need to go up in needles so that you don't send somebody a little microscopic handwriting equivalent of knitting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so... We can talk a little bit about like our favorite swatch techniques, but are you, are you a swatcher? So
0: I am not a reliable swatcher. I have a tendency to just kind of dive right into my project. The one kind of swatching, and I'm doing little air quotes while I say this, that I do, uh, this is a tip we got from Tin Can Knits, where when you do like a bottom up sweater and so you're knitting the sleeve separately, start with the sleeve. And then when you get like four inches into the sleeve, treat that like a swatch and measure the gauge.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: have swatched... When I'm knitting for me, I just tend not to
1: because I... I'm not judging. Yeah, yeah I don't okay know. And I, sh- I
0: probably should, but like my body size happens to be like really on the nose with a lot of pattern designers' sizes. Mm-hmm. Like it'll say, you know, whatever the bust measurement is, and that is my actual bust measurement. And so if it comes out a little big or a little small, it's just kind of... It's fine. It's within the range of like acceptable for me. That is not the case for a lot of people, either just preference wise, like there may not be an acceptable range of how a sweater fits. They want it to fit exactly the way they want it to fit. Precision. Yes. My knitting tends to be also, I don't have wildly tight or wildly loose gauge.
1: Despite your tiny handwriting. Despite my tiny
0: handwriting. I do have a theory. So, We're just going to like crowdsource information. I have a theory that if you have very large, very loopy handwriting, that you maybe also have loose gauge. And we've had that, there has been correlation around that with a few people that we've taught in classes. But if you are somebody who has really large, very loopy handwriting and you don't have loose gauge, I'd like to hear from you to know that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make a
1: spreadsheet. How about you, Jessica? You are the swatcher. I am now. So... 20 years ago when I started knitting, I did not swatch. I didn't understand what the point of a swatch was. I didn't understand gauge. And nobody ever explained it to me. So it's kind of like when you're, when you're cooking or something and you're like, I don't know what it means to chiffonade basil. How do you fold in the cheese? Right. Just like, fold it in. Use a J-fold. <laughs> what is a J-fold? Like, you know, there are techniques where until you know what they are or you understand the intended purpose, you can't make an informed choice about whether or not you should be doing it, right? So I didn't swatch and I didn't know what gauge was. And as I became more involved in the knitting community, I encountered lots of knitters who were like, I don't do swatches. I don't knit swatches. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I don't knit swatches either. (laughs) Because I had like, that was the, the peer modeling I had around me. Was a bunch of swatch resistant people. So I was like, great, I don't need to do that either. I'm just gonna jump into my project. And it didn't always work to my benefit. There were definitely times where I knit things and was like, what the hell have I done? (laughs) You know, like, why is it shaped like this? Why is it this size? And I could have avoided those issues if I had swatched. And at some point in my more recent history, I've become one with the swatch. For a while, I dabbled with tiny swatches. I would cast on like ten stitches and knit six rows. Oh yeah! When I was like, people come into the store with this. I Did mean, you really Jessica. mean me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, Jessica's in the store doing this.
0: I, I live in the <laughs> store, and I
1: have the world's tiniest <laughs> swatch, and I'm pretending that it's giving me accurate information, and it's not. But over time, because I am resistant to frogging, I'm not a frogger. So if I can avoid ripping out a project and just fixing things on the needles, I will. But if you knit something on a needle size that is not giving you the fabric that you want, there's no way to fix that on the needles. You have to rip it out. So I think my aversion to frogging is really what pushed me into more serious swatching. And that, that combined with like teaching classes on swatching in the shop where I was like, I'm never gonna knit a thing, but I need to knit some example swatches to show people what a difference needle changes can make really just made me think this is not that bad and is giving me tons of information. I'm just gonna do it. So I it was like a long, slow journey for me and I'm a happier knitter for it because my my knitting is more reliable. Like I'm getting the results that I expect because I have done the little bit of work on the front end to troubleshoot. Yeah. You might have different feelings. You might say, I'm not doing it. But If your interest is peaked,
0: (laughs) well, and I, okay, so, and there are different types of swatches that you probably want to do for different types of projects for different reasons. Yes. Also, for example, if you were knitting a scarf, Mm -hmm. it's just a big rectangle. Unless something has really gone very, very wrong, it's going to fit somebody. Like, regardless of how your gauge is coming out in that pattern. Yes you know, you're probably not going to encounter a situation where a six foot scarf does not work for a body, even if it comes out to five and a half feet.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to jump in to say that like, I'm a swatcher now, but I don't think that you absolutely must swatch for every single thing. Like some things are not fitted. Like, do you need to swatch a blanket? Do you need to swatch the scarf? In those cases, you probably don't need to do like a full four inch swatch but
0: you might want to check and just do a little bit of like your needles and your yarn just to see if you like the fabric. If you're knitting a scarf that's knit on size six needles and you know you want it to be kind of drapey and you have kind of tight gauge and it's knit with worsted weight, it might, depending on how tight your tight gauge is, you don't want this thing to stand up on its own. So maybe you want to go up to a seven or an eight just to get like a drapier, flowier fabric. But you know, you don't need to measure to make sure. It's just like a, do I like the fabric that it's creating or not? It's not, it doesn't matter how many stitches you're getting to the inch in that case. And that's a little bit getting ahead of us because I think we're going to talk about that.
1: Yeah. Like different ways to approach swatches. So for example, if you're knitting something like a scarf, you're going to swatch flat. But what if you're knitting a sweater that's Knit in the round, or you're swatching for a hat. This is something that you pay attention to, I think, more specifically if you're working a project that has color work. If you knit your swatch completely flat, like you knit across and then you purl back across the fabric, that's not going to give you necessarily an accurate gauge because knitters have different tension for their knit stitches versus their purl stitches. So if you're knitting a hat and it's all in the round and you've been purling half the rows on your swatch, you're not going to necessarily get the numbers that accurately reflect what that hat will be like. So when you're creating those swatches, you want to actually swatch in the round. This is maybe helpful to have double points or <laughs> circular needles. How many double instance. points? <laughs> Seven. Seven. That's right. (laughs) I
0: think let's, oh, let's start a thing where it's like a prestige competition for how many, like who can
1: justify the most double points in their project As as a quick aside related to that. Yeah. I think I saw in one of these online conversations that were sparked by the four or five DPN issue, people talking about like sweater bodies knit on long double points where there were multiples involved. And I had not encountered that before. Oh, and it was cool. endlessly interesting to me.
0: Huh. Yeah. I was picturing like a round rug or something with like 35 double points instead of a like 72 inch cord or something. <laughs> <laughs> Where by the
1: time you get to the outside, it's just like, it's wild. It's just wild. <laughs> yeah. So there's swatching in the round. And the way that you do that is you'll knit across a row, and then instead of turning your work and purling back across, you will leave a long strand of yarn, like a big loop that hangs off of the back side, and then you just continue knitting. So you're always working on the right side of the fabric, and that will replicate the process of knitting in the round where there are only ever knit stitches involved. But otherwise, I think flat swatching in most instances works just fine. That's also something
0: that you maybe can learn about yourself as well. Like, if you learn that your purl stitches really are about equivalent to your knit stitches, then you can skip the swatching in the round. Although, also, you can just do that if you're knitting a sweater. You probably have circular needles right there anyway, and, like, you could just knit Mm -hmm. in the round. Swatching in the round is also probably going to be your friend if you're swatching color work, because that colorwork chart is probably written in the round and trying to reverse it and switch it to pearl. It's brain breaking a little bit. It's it's not
1: (laughs) the most fluid, easy, thoughtless knitting. Yeah. I have
0: a swatch I did of the colorwork on my Kufel sweater Mm -hmm. that I had to, I think that was the first swatch I ever did in the round because I was like, I can't, I just cannot if I don't just make these big tails. And then, you know, and then when you're done with
1: it, you sort of trim it up and it is flat. And so you can measure it, which is nice. Right. So when you're swatching, the other thing that you need to do, best practice, I think is what I'm going to call it, is you should block your swatch. Yes. Because fabric is different pre-blocking and post-blocking, which we've talked about on past episodes, but just take the extra little bit of time and give it a little soak or steam it with the iron and really let those stitches flatten out and open up because that will give you your most accurate stitch count. The other thing that you want to do, so as you're setting up your swatch, you need ribbing.
0: Ah, (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to cast on your stitches and you'll either cast on, you know, I usually, I always cast on too many. I'm always like, I need 40 stitches, and then I get like four rows in, and I'm like, why am I knitting like an eight inch wide swatch? What am I doing? So you're going to cast on your stitches, and then you're going to knit like four rows of garter. So you're just knit, and then turn it around, knit it back. I'm assuming we're knitting flat at this point. Turn it around, knit it back, and you want to do that so that your swatch isn't curling up on you. You want it to sit flat, and then as you are creating your actual Square of fabric that you're going to measure, you want to maintain that little garter, it's like a like a picture frame, almost like that little garter frame on your fabric so that it will sit flat for you. So toward the, you know, like the five stitches at either end of your swatch, maybe or the three stitches, depending on how many stitches you're doing, you're going to want to just do, you know, one one ribbing to keep it flat. And then whatever the fabric that you are intending to knit your finished object out of is inside that picture frame. So it could be stockinette. It could be garter, in which case you don't have to worry about the picture frame thing. It could be moss stitch or whatever mm-hmm. is just inside that little square. We're going to post some pictures, I think. This would be a, like a, a visually helpful thing. And we have a couple of different swatches that are in the store that I think we could like post yeah, definitely. photos of.
1: The other thing that I like to do that is my personal reference point for swatches that I'm going to be keeping because sometimes you don't keep your swatches. Sometimes your yardage is precious and you need to frog them to use in your project. But if you're keeping your swatches, I like to keep track of what the n- size of the needle is. So say for example, I knit with a particular yarn regularly and I don't want to have to swatch every time I pick it up to use it for a project. If you knit yourself a longer swatch and change needle sizes over the course of it. So like I start on size eight needles. What I would do is create eight eyelets. So I do an eyelet and then knit two together. So there are eight little holes across the expanse of the swatch. And after a couple of inches, I would switch to sevens and do seven eyelets. So it's kind of like a little reference swatch for me going forward. So I know that if I use size six needles, this is how many stitches per inch I get. It's handy if you use the same yarn frequently. If you don't, it's maybe not as important.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, I think you just said eyelet when you meant yarn over. So to create an eyelet, you do a yarn over and then a knit two together. Like Jessica was just saying, that's a good technique for if you're going to be using that yarn a lot. That feels less common now than it used to be. I think especially like I'm always excited to try new yarn. How how often does it happen that you're like, I like this yarn? And I'm probably going to be knitting everything out of it. I think that was a sort of less, less diverse yarn market technique, sure. but that's it's fair. also totally worth doing. There's also, you know, you, the sort of old school, you get like a binder and those plastic sleeves and you keep your swatches in there and that's your little swatch library. Like, sure. If you're going to be repeating your uh, knitting.
1: Yeah. Like for example, the wool stock, we both use that pretty yes. regularly for sweaters, you know, and it's a woolen spun yarn, so it blooms a lot, and it has a lot of variability in what needle size you can work it on. So like our, the teaching swatch we have in the shop is a wool stock one where I've done the extended length with the little eyelet markers for needle size. But, you know, you're picking up a precious skein of Indie dyed something magical, and you're probably not going to encounter it again. Maybe you don't need that type of reference swatch for it.
0: And you probably want that yarn in your project, so you can always swatch and frog. Mm hmm, definitely. So, when you have your swatch, how do you then use it to get useful information? I've knit
1: a square. What now? Now you need to measure. You can use any sort of measuring tool for this. So, you can use a ruler, you can use a tailor's tape, you can use a swatch gauge, which is a measuring tool designed to be laid over knit or crocheted fabric. So, you can measure the number of stitches per inch and per row those generally have like a little window pane cut out of it and are frequently like a square or rectangle measuring tool. We also have the ones from
0: Acreworks that are like 3D printed and they have like a plus sign window kind of. We'll post these too, but it's like a little cutout that really it's just isolating a row and a column of knitting, which is, I think, a little bit easier to read than the um, big square open ones, but that's a preference thing. It doesn't give you necessarily the same like big picture reference that one of the big square ones would do. So that it is, it's totally just like what you want to use, what you like using.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you're measuring your stitches, you want to make sure that you've identified an actual column of stitches. So your stitches on say a piece of stockinette fabric, are a little column of V's stacked on top of each other. And you want to identify what the center of that is and make sure that your starting measuring point is to the left of the first stitch that you're counting from. And sometimes it's easier if you take like a knitting needle or a darning needle or something and actually physically touch the center of each stitch as you count across, because looking at a piece of knit fabric Oh. from a distance and trying to visually count these identical rows can be challenging. Like, um, I am not good at it. Don't use a pen. Yes, that's a... V- <laughs> no pens, no markers, no highlighters.
0: You may have a pen right at hand, and it will be very tempting, and you will realize the problem. You'll realize the flaw very quickly. Yeah, that's also a good use of your fifth knitting needle if you don't... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely have to touch every stitch in order to count the stitches. That is, I think, very normal, especially when you're using the big open square ones. Mm-hmm. It, it, you lose track of the rows and the columns and it sort of shifts over
1: and it gets really tricky. Yes. So other people may have differing opinions, but personally, I think that the most important number, when you're looking at your, your gauge on your pattern, it tells you stitches per inch and rows per inch. That's rows is the second number. So how tall your fabric is becoming. But the horizontal stitches, the ones working across the fabric, that is the most important number. If you are, say, knitting a sweater, you can always make the body longer or shorter depending on your needs. But if your fabric is actually tighter, like your stitches are too small or too big for what you're intending to get, that is more difficult to adjust. You can't just add more stitches in the round to make it fit around your body better. But you can knit more or fewer rows to accommodate for length.
0: Right. So if you are doing something like a
1: sweater sleeve
0: where, you know, you, you knit your four inches right at the top and then you're doing a decrease. And the pattern might say something like decrease two stitches every 10 rows or something, right? Mm-hmm. And you somehow have created a fabric that has like horizontal stitches per inch right on but is enormous the vertically. Tall stitches. Yeah, they're <laughs> tall stitches maybe you don't need to do the number of rows, you know, you're not doing 10 rows between decreases, you're doing eight or six. And that you can just figure out with a measuring tape, like you just figure out, oh, I need to do it every instead of thinking about it, I need to do it every 10 rows, you're thinking about it, I need to do it every inch and a half or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to be like, you've hit your your wrist, and you still have two decrease sections to go like that's not helpful. And same thing with like the sweater body, like, Just like Jessica just said, you can always knit more or knit less to make
1: that work out. Frequently, patterns will tell you knit for X number of inches anyways. Like designers aren't micromanaging the exact number of rows that you need. So it'll work out (laughs) if you do your swatch. Maybe. Fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then even sometimes swatching is not foolproof because maybe you were swatching after two glasses of wine or maybe you were swatching in the middle of a really tense movie or,
1: you know, sometimes it still doesn't. Hey, it's not foolproof. Yeah, it's not. But it's it's your best bet at troubleshooting before you start. Right. Oh, I think one more thing to think about with swatches that we've maybe mentioned in the past, but not today. Please swatch if you're going to do this at all on the same needles that you're going to use to knit your project. Because if you swatch on a size five bamboo needle, and then you knit your project on a size five metal needle from a different manufacturer, like those needles are not identical in either material or probably the actual diameter. Like there are differences. So
0: there are, we say all the time, there's no knitting police. I a little bit wish there were needle manufacturing police
1: (laughs) (laughs) or industry standard at least.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I guess it doesn't need to be actually enforced, but just like some kind of like, maybe there could be Like weights and measures, like, you know, you go to the farmer's market and you know that all of the scales there have been calibrated by the state. Like they have to do it every year. Those scales are certified. An inch is the length of some random dead king's
0: thumb knuckled end or something, right? And like, how, (laughs) how very silly, but also everyone knows now. And that just is what an inch is, except apparently not everywhere in the world. What? I'm about to say something that I have no actual like verification for other than there was a conversation in the shop owner group about somebody had ordered some of those like wrist ruler bracelets and the inches were wrong. And Mm. they were like, oh, they were just poorly manufactured. Apparently there is in China inch measurements that are a different length from the imperial inch measurement, but they're still inches and they're still standardized. It's just a different standard. And so just like when we send, you know, A robot to Mars and somebody's like, oh, I forgot to click the kilogram to pound conversion. And now the thing is, you know, 2 million miles in the wrong direction. Somebody just forgot to click the- Which inch? Which, which, (laughs) which (laughs) inch.
1: Anyway, so, um, oh, can we just please all go metric? Right. Is it time? I think we probably should have a long time ago.
0: (sighs) Oh, I had somebody said, so I was, I was consulting with someone on a pattern last night. So it was a pattern that was written for some yarn that is not being made anymore. And it was the same thing. It's still in the Ravelry database, but it was coming out really wild. It was like, it was listed as DK weight, but also like 390 yards to the hundred grams or something. And I was like, this Mm. feels, maybe it was 360. It was just like much more yardage. And I was very confused. And I think it was a meters to yards conversion.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: And like, you know, at some point it had been entered into the database and no one's knitting with this yarn that is well out of manufacture. Like, I think it has been a long time right. since this yarn was manufactured, but we were trying to find a substitute for it. Oof. Fortunately, it was for a blanket. It'll be a square. It'll be a rectangle. It's fine. But yeah, like, I think that kind of thing happens a lot. And so that's, okay, that's the other thing to do with swatching and projects the human brain component is a really essential component to all of this. And we'll see this sometimes at the store too, where people will come in with a swatch and they really want the swatch to be correct. They want to use the needles. And so we'll, you know, they'll sit down, they'll be like, oh, I'm measuring it. And you'll see them kind of like pulling it or like squishing it to make it fit. And like, you know what that's like?
1: That's like having a pair of jeans that don't fit your body comfortably, but you really wanna wear those jeans like they were your favorite at some point in time and now they just don't fit like you remember them fitting, but you are committed to keeping these jeans. Yeah. It's you're gonna hate it if that's what you force yourself to wear. For whatever reason it's not fitting comfortably. It's if your swatch is wrong, yeah. You're gonna regret it later.
0: Yes. And so you have to like use your human brain. And think, well, this is not what's going to be happening to this fabric while the project is being, or while the garment or whatever, while it's in use, while it's living its life in the post-knitting state of its life. Like, just because you can force it to fit this
1: measurement doesn't mean that that is a realistic measurement of what that fabric is. Mm -hmm. At some point, your hand is going to stop pulling on it. Right. And it's going to relax into (laughs) its preferred state, which is maybe not the same. Right. Yeah. Oh. So swatching, it's a journey. It's lessons <laughs> it to be learned.
0: It, it's a journey and it is like, you can just think about it as a way of like decreasing your risk mm-hmm. in starting a project. It's not totally foolproof, but instead of 50-50 odds of it coming out the way you want, it's giving you like 90-10 odds or 80-20 odds or something like that. Yes. What's that saying?
1: May the odds be in your favor? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that. So what are you working on right now?
1: The very, very last few stitches of my penguono, yay! which is great. Got my side piece sock happening, which is also great, but I'm trying to avoid the siren call of the self-striping yarn. I really <laughs> love it, but it's not really what I should be working on. And then I'm in the midst of my test knit, so that's kind of fun too. And I Because I am being a good, responsible test knitter and abiding by the designer's wishes, I have created a Ravelry project page for it. And on my personal Instagram, I'm posting some pictures too. So I'm tracking my progress. Nice. What are you knitting, Karen?
0: Uh, Nothing new since last week. I'm still plugging away on sock number six out of six. And I am still working on my forager sleeve. I'm not as far on my forager sleeve as I had thought I would be when we recorded last time. only because. There is like a dog situation going on in our house. (laughs) The dogs are very cold and they want to be on us all the time. They just like like to snuggle. They like to snuggle. And so like knitting time, because the store is not open, we aren't really knitting at the store like we used to, Mm -hmm. you know, like when we get to the point where we would just be knitting. (laughs) So most of my knitting is happening at night and there is so much dog on me all the time. And so I've been working on my sock instead because it's like dog plus, you know, the body of a sweater plus three quarters of a sleeve. It's just a lot happening, but I hear it's like supposed to warm up next week. So I'm excited. I mean, I think, I think that's a low weird bar. I don't think it's going to be warm. It's just going to be less frigid frozen. Yes. Mm -hmm. The dogs will be less upset when they have to come inside. One of our dogs is a dachshund and he's very low to the ground and it's very challenging when there's snow and ice. Yeah. His whole body is very cold, submerged (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Jessica, are you ready?
1: Okay. For a letter. Yeah. No. Yes. You better be. Uh, Well, it's happening. So here I am. (laughs) Let's do it.
0: This letter is from Jane. Hi Jane. The last couple of podcasts you've been talking about stash and using up what you've got. You talked a bit about yarn weight, which was very helpful. I'm wondering about combining yarns of the same weight together. Are there rules? For example, I was gifted some lovely fingering weight yarn for Christmas. One skein is hand-dyed 70% fine merino, 20% cashmere, and 10% nylon. The other is Malabrigo 100% superwash merino. They're both lovely and coordinate well together, but can I use the superwash and a hand-dyed, if that's what to call it, yarn in the same project? And then I'm going to include this part, and then I want to talk about this part before you answer. Okay. Jane says, I feel like this is a dumb question. Everybody already knows this, I'm sure.
1: Jane! Jane,
0: it's not a dumb question, and everybody doesn't know anything. Like, there is literally no thing about knitting that everybody is going to be like, I know this. If you feel like this is embarrassing to ask, guess what? That's your job. Just
1: ask it. It's, it's not embarrassing. Extra reason to ask. And it's helping everyone. Yeah. So we're really glad you asked, Jane. I'm ready for you, Jane. <laughs> okay. So I think rules is a strong word. Right. I think that it's great to combine yarns. And if you're choosing to do that, there are a couple of things to consider. So, if you were digging through your stash and you have two skeins and you're like these are beautiful together and I love them and one of them is a skein of superwash merino and the other is a skein of uh, I don't know highland wool that's not been superwashed. Something to consider is how you're going to care for that garment afterwards. Just because one of those fibers is superwash doesn't mean that you could throw it in the washing machine, maybe perhaps it's now a hand wash garment. So care is one thing. How different fiber types interact with each other will determine what the shape of your project is. Like if you're not holding yarns double, but you're knitting one section with one type of yarn, say you're using, you know, alpaca on something and you want to combine it with cotton. I'm not sure under what what circumstances those are going to happen but you need to know that one is going to be significantly more drapey than the other. So those are things to consider. If you are using hand-dyed yarns or indie-dyed yarns, and they're not from the same dyer, or even if they are from the same dyer, sometimes, particularly if you have, I think that I'm going to make a generalization that is maybe not accurate, but I think that reds and yellows, sometimes bleed more. (laughs) Oh I think so. Than other colors do. I also think that those are like like how when you're talking about hair color like red is a tough color to maintain. If you're working with hand dyed yarns and your colors are different and you have concern that they might bleed we talked about this in a prior letter like you might want to give them a soak to make sure that like your red yarn is not going to die on the white yarn that you might be knitting with And then as far as like combining different yarns, like sometimes designers intentionally do that. A good example is the Sisterhood set from Jen Peck, who is Webster Street Knittery. She designed this great hat and cowl colorwork project pair actually as a fundraiser for Sisters United, which is a nonprofit helping indigenous women and children in the Montana community. But it was knit and designed for the farmer's daughter fibers Pishkin and Juicy DK. And Pishkin is non-treated Ramboulet and the Juicy DK is superwash merino. The way that their spun is different, their texture, like their feel in your hand is very different, and they're work together in a color work piece and they're really beautiful. So I think that you can combine all sorts of things, but you have to be willing to experiment a little bit and it's a great opportunity to swatch before you dive deep into the project to see if you like the results. Yes, and then if
0: you block your swatch, you'll find out like if the blend that you want to work with is going to behave differently than the 100% superwash merino, you'll find that out from a little rectangle and not from you've knit a ton. And you could probably if you're like tight on yardage for this, you could leave both I'm gonna say both ends live, like leave both ends connected to their ball. If you think that you're gonna to need to frog and use the yarn from your swatch for your finished project, mm-hmm.
1: you could just have tails hanging off the end. Definitely, That's fine. yep. You know, you know when this happens a lot too. I think a lot of sweater patterns recently are knit with color work, and lots of people use spin cycle in the yokes. And Spin Cycle mills their own yarn. Like right. there is no solid dyed equivalent to that specific yarn because they are dying and they are making the yarn. Yes. So people are pairing that with all sorts of different things as like their main color, and it might be a fingering weight single ply tweed yarn. It might be a chunky woolen spun. You know, who knows what? Like people use all sorts of different combinations, and in the end your finished product is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, dependent on the two yarns you've put together in it to be identical. Like you can do all sorts of things with your fiber and have beautiful results.
0: One of my favorite colorwork knitting tricks is if you have any questions about your gauge in knitting colorwork, you knit the body out of non-superwash and then the colorwork out of superwash. So that then when you block it, if you did have any tension issues where you were carrying the yarn, the superwash will relax a little bit and you'll, they won't like pucker up your fabric. It will. That's smart. Yeah, that's one of my favorite combining
1: spin cycle and wool stock justifications. Yeah, they knit together nice. So I hope that was helpful, Jane. Basically play with your yarn and do a little swatch and see what you like and go from there. You can yeah. kind of do anything. Nobody's the boss of you.
0: This Saturday coming up, if you're listening to this when it posts, is March of the Penguinos. So March 6th. March 6th. Yes. So if you have knit any
1: stage of a penguino, we want to see it. Mm -hmm. If you're local to us and you can get to Lebanon. Yes. The doors are still locked. But we're going to (laughs) be in the windows on Court Street outside of the shop between noon and two so
0: that Lucky's will be open. You can get your coffee and then come knock on the window
1: and like do a little penguono dance at us. Yes. And we will take pictures, shoot a little video. Maybe we'll do some Instagram reels because we we just learned how to do that. Yes. I feel like simultaneously way out of touch, like technological (laughs) dinosaur and internet genius. If you're not near us, if you can't come to Lebanon, but you have your amazing, beautiful, majestic penguono, take a picture or a video. Or you make an Instagram deal (laughs) and tag us, because we want to put these. We'll share them in our stories. We would like to put them all together in one place, so we can have a flock of penguinos, a march of penguinos, to celebrate all of your committed knitting and amazing stash busting and beautiful yarn combinations and willingness to have a wild knit along with us for our first first attempt at
0: this. Yes. I'm super excited to see what everyone's made. It's going to be amazing. We want
1: to celebrate you.
0: And congratulations. If you did this and now you feel free of your stash or you have made a dent in your stash or you have learned something new about your stash or
1: yourself as a knitter.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like, yay. I'm excited. We applaud you.
1: All right. I think that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to hear from you. Tell us, do you use four or five DPNs? Uh, <laughs> what is your experience? Twelve? Do you use fifteen? I you use two. <laughs> what is going on in your double pointed life? Yeah, tell us your stories. Write us your letters. Give us your questions. We want them all, and you can email those to dear scratch at scratchsupplyco If you want to see what we're up to, you can follow us on Instagram at make good pod and subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends about it. We are available on Stitcher and Apple Podcast and wherever else you like to listen. And rate and review us because it will help other knitters find us. We'll be back next week. Bye bye.